Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Circular Economy podcast. It's been a challenging time around much of the world. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen heat waves, fires and floods across Europe, heat waves and fires in North America, and then an earthquake and hurricanes in Haiti. Plus, of course, all the upheaval in Afghanistan. My heart goes out to all those affected by these and other awful events. And, of course, we're all absorbing the sobering messages from the latest IPCC report on climate change and wondering how we can each play our part in bending the curve on greenhouse gas emissions. In the last series, we've had great conversations with inspiring people in the United States, the UK, the Netherlands, Guernsey, Switzerland and Côte d'Ivoire. And three of the organisations... Circularity Capital, Olio and Lush have been on my guest wish list right from when the Circular Economy podcast started. If you're a regular listener, and if you're not, I hope you will be, you'll know that every 10th episode I look back at recent conversations and round up some of the insights we've heard. The theme for this episode is turning off the tap. What do I mean by that? When I'm giving presentations, I quite often use a photograph of a leaky hosepipe, and that's one of my analogies for the linear economy. I describe our system of taking materials, making stuff, using it and then throwing it away as being like a leaky hosepipe. We're pushing lots of resources in at one end of the pipe, but it leaks out at the end and all the way along the pipe with pollution going into the atmosphere, air, water and soil. And all of that, of course, is undermining our ability to thrive on this planet. At the very least, it costs money to clean all of that up. But often it can be harmful to people and harmful and destructive to the living systems we depend on for our survival. This week, I've been working on an article for a new online magazine and I've been looking at how circular approaches can unlock business success in a world of challenges and constraints. And of course, those challenges and constraints include bending the curve on climate emissions, doing something positive about ecological destruction, so we're starting to regenerate soil, water and living systems, and dealing with the challenges of a finite world. Some resources are obviously finite, like metals, minerals, even fossil fuels, so we can get our head around the limits on those. But what we often forget is that land and water are finite. We're certainly not making any more land, um, and our modern systems of agriculture 
and our tendency to convert forests and savannas into farmland using fossil fertilizers and petrochemical-based insecticides, pesticides and more, means we're actually depleting the biology in those soils, depleting the nutrient contents. And of course, we're clearing trees, hedges, ponds and all sorts of other wildlife habitats. And as we know more recently, that displacement of wildlife is what's caused all the recent zoonotic diseases, including coronavirus. So now we're threatening human health directly. It kind of feels like we're heading towards a precipice. Our take-make-waste economy is driving the climate, ecological and health crises we're facing everywhere. So what can we do? We've got to radically rethink business as usual. We need to be regenerative instead of destructive and wasteful. And yet, the better our lifestyles, the bigger our footprint grows, with resource extraction, ecosystem degradation, waste and emissions. At the start of this series, in episode 51, we spoke to Jamie Butterworth of Circularity Capital, and Jamie explained why they see the future is all about circular businesses. First and foremost, many circular business models, if deployed correctly, will create more value than linear economy business models because we're able to improve margin, for example, by using products more than once, improve asset utilization and also cascade things for second use lives. And what do you think about the compliance and regulation appetite for greener taxes and more carrot and stick around, say, taxing the use of virgin resources, taxing waste and pollution more heavily to kind of move towards extended producer responsibility? Are you getting any signals that investors would like that to level the playing field more in favour of more sustainable businesses? Are you getting the feeling that governments are moving towards that? So I think a couple of things. So one is this, the main focus at the moment in financial markets focuses on um, kind of compliance around ESG and also more transparency around what's being reported in particular, for example, um, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, there's more and more interest as well about biodiversity with a view that uh, just looking at carbon is too simplistic and ultimately all of the value creation activities that we uh, used today have an impact on biodiversity as well. So kind of an example of the complexity of what companies are looking to report. So that that is being driven mainly, I would say, by a kind of compliance and also reporting side. I think quite separately is the debate around the pricing of externalities into the system. So for example, the price of carbon. Um, and I think there is a, a growing awareness that there are these environmental externalities, whether it's clean water or clean air, et cetera, which currently aren't factored into the system. I think that the debate around that is probably most advanced in Europe than North America and then rest of the world. But I think it's still quite a long way away from being in kind of general consciousness and something that will be acted on, albeit the carbon price obviously is more advanced than, than the rest. Over the last 50 years, global resource use has tripled and it's growing 70% faster than population. The extraction and processing of materials, fuels and food causes over half of greenhouse gas emissions. 
and it's responsible for 90% of water stress and biodiversity loss. We've caused climate chaos with depleted oceans, we've created water scarcity, and we've degraded land everywhere. And humanity's causing widespread extinction of other species. So how did we get to this cliff edge? I think it's with our relentless drive for business growth. More sales, faster fashions, single use and disposability, underpinned with the myth of consumerism, that more stuff makes us happy. Of course, population growth and other developments in the last century, for instance, better sanitation, better healthcare, industrialised agriculture and so on, have all helped fuel this. But at the heart of it, is the drive for business growth. Being bigger is seen as the badge of success for business. Most companies depend on increasing consumption, increasing sales, and often that's being enabled by ever more sophisticated marketing strategies. Behavioural psychology and other techniques hook customers into buying more and replacing things more quickly. Happiness chemicals, including dopamine, the reward molecule, and oxytocin, the love hormone, can drive sales and addictive behaviour. We're all guilty of willful blindness. We buy more and better things to fuel our higher standards of living. Yet this degrades humanity's wealth, our global commons, undermining the well-being of future generations. Now, though, leading thinkers... NGOs, politicians and even major consultancies are highlighting the conflict between business success and social prosperity. So how do we rethink these systems to live within the limits of our planet? How can companies find ways to supply those desirable functional objects to meet our aspirations for higher living standards without increasing the carbon, ecological and resource footprint? What behavioural shifts can marketers encourage? Each successive industrial revolution has used breakthroughs in power generation, communications and transport to spark innovation and build new industries. And of course, to expand our footprint. The next industrial revolution will be different based on circular, caretaker mindsets and systems thinking to help conserve and regenerate precious resources and ecosystems. It's going to be a circular revolution. Circular approaches hold the key to the puzzle. Circular systems change the dynamic, breaking the link between consumption and well-being. It means we can see success through a different lens. You've probably come across different definitions of the circular economy, with most schools of thought using these four principles. Number one, design to keep products and materials in use. Number two, eliminate waste and pollution. Three, recover and regenerate resources and living systems. And number four, use safe, sustainable materials. What I'm noticing is that businesses, especially big global companies, are leaning towards increasing recycled content, improving recyclability, and developing new generation materials. But these advances don't tackle the main issue, our vast consumption. We need a breakthrough, products that have a life of their own, instead of just serving a single user. 
We need objects designed for reuse and resale once someone no longer needs them, or objects available in multi-user systems with customers sharing or renting when needed. Let's unpack this to understand how it helps to separate the benefits of products and services from their cost to the global commons. First, we can design things to be durable and robust, easy to care for, to repair and upgrade, so we can keep them in use for much longer. Circular designs allow products to be efficiently remade, remanufactured, including rigorous testing and replacement of worn components. Remanufacturing means cheaper, high-quality, high-performance products backed by a solid warranty. You might be thinking more expensive products would be less affordable. But no. Extra costs are more than offset by a reduced cost of ownership. Over a longer lifetime, the purchase cost plus maintenance minus resale value is lower for each customer in the, in the ownership chain. The result is better value. Patagonia, Fairphone and Vitso all embed these approaches into their business models. And we know how to do this. It's how we made things just a few decades ago. Cars, household appliances, furniture, clothes, shoes and technology were all designed to last several decades, not just a few years. Homey, in the Netherlands, provides paper-use home appliances, rewarding customers for using lower-impact wash cycles. After just a few weeks, customers were washing 30% less and using less energy and water than they were beforehand. Have a listen back to episode 17 to hear from Nancy Bocken, the co-founder of Homey and one of the leading academics working on the circular economy. In episode 56, we met Laura Mehring, who set out to unravel all the things that are wrong with fast fashion through her business Unravelau in the, in the Netherlands, which provides atelier, sewing and design services, and also helps educate young people about the wider aspects of sustainability. Yeah, so at Unravelau, we don't produce more than one collection a year, and actually Right now, at this moment, we don't produce any collections, but we just only produce whenever a client gives us an assignment. Um, and what we think is important about that is because even if you only make one collection a year, there's still some pieces in there that people might not want, uh, which is a shame. It's a shame of my time as an artist that I put in there, but also it's a shame of um, all the sources that I have wasted with that. So now what we do, we go in, uh, we have contact with the clients and then they come to us and they say, well, I would like to have a suit for this occasion, for instance. And based on a conversation with them, we get to know them better and we can decide like, okay, this is the kind of style that maybe suits you and the kind of fabric that would fit with it. Uh, then we present it to them. And um, if they like the sketch, if they like the idea, then we continue with it and we start making a prototype and we do a fitting with them. And along the way, each time the client can still say, okay, I want this a bit changed. I want this a bit more to my taste. I think this is a bit too raw. I think this is too wide. I think this is too tight. Um, can I change it a bit? And we're just completely open to it. It will still, in the end, it will still be an unravel suit for the client. But by just listening to them very carefully, we can make sure that we actually make something for them that they want and that they will 
were for a very long time. What about business impact? Selling fewer new high quality products supports healthy profit margins in the longer term. Some overheads are lower with fewer new product launches and less marketing to find new customers or to encourage people to upgrade their existing products. Plus, the revenue opportunities from selling servicing, spare parts and upgrades, and from supplying resale subscription and pay-per-use services. Secondly, we can design objects to be used more intensively, rented, shared or exchanged with other users. That means we get more use from the product and its embedded resources. Algramo and Loop offer reusable packaging that's more convenient and better value, so brands like Unilever and Nestle can engage directly with consumers. You can find out more about Algramo in episode 42. Another example is Grover in Germany, one of Circularity Capital's investments. Grover rents out the latest technology products with affordable and flexible options. Grover's customers rent products like phones, laptops, entertainment equipment, sports tech, and so on. It means people can use something when they need it and send it back when they don't. Circularity Capital likes rental systems because they maximise usage and minimise waste. Finally, we need to recover value instead of wasting it. Once the product eventually reaches the end of its life, Circular systems recover products and regenerate the materials we need for the next generation of products. By designing circular products to have a life of their own, we can decouple industry's footprint from the value delivered to society. We reduce resource and environmental costs by extending lifetimes to slow the replacement cycle, or by supplying the same level of service through fewer products to boost productivity. In other words, we're pushing less liquid through that leaky hosepipe, and that means less waste coming out of all those leakage points all along the process. This is radical. It's not resource efficiency or making a few tweaks to product design. It'll be as disruptive as digital, changing every aspect of business from finance, sales, marketing and operations to your entire supply chain. By bending the curve, turning off the tap on accelerating levels of waste, emissions and resource use, we can start to regenerate depleted soils, forests, rivers and oceans. Let's go back to that image of the leaky hosepipe, pumping through ever more resources and pouring waste and pollution out all along the pipeline, as well as at the end of the pipe. The question is, how do we slow the flow through the pipe and all its leaky holes? It's only by turning off the tap that we're going to reduce the size and impact of our footprint. Just swapping from finite materials to renewable materials doesn't solve the problem. In fact, it may make things worse, causing more deforestation and ecosystem destruction. The obvious thing we can do is to be more frugal. And that's transformational and makes a big impact. But most of us don't want to do that. And telling people that they need to have less doesn't seem like a strategy for success. It's not painting a picture of an exciting future that we can all embrace. Instead, we need to change mindsets. Change how we think about what we buy so that people see having access to useful products and services 
is more convenient and better for all of us than having wanting to own it and have exclusive use of it. And what's encouraging is that the younger generation is really buying into this. Generation Z doesn't necessarily want to be tied down by owning products. Cars, technology, houses and even clothing are seen as items that you can easily rent when you need them and send them back when you don't. This is where the circular economy helps break the link between our footprints and the push for better standards of living. Those longer lasting products might have several owners over their lifetime. Unravel Out and Lush are companies developing products and packaging that last longer, can have several use cycles and builds emotional engagement with the user. TechBuyer and Olio are circular service providers helping recover products that still have value and get them back into the system so they can be used again. In episode 53, Tech Buyer's Managing Director, Mick Payne, explained how they remanufacture IT storage and servers to provide high-quality, reliable and high-performance equipment. That's often both better value and better from an energy usage and efficiency point of view compared to the new equivalent. Tech Buyer provide added value services helping their customers understand what the optimum specification is to meet their needs. So companies aren't buying more storage than they need, or buying more performance, or using more energy than they need to. In episode 58, Elisio Delova explained how Olio helps food get used before it goes out of date. It's a really convenient way for people to exchange food with their neighbours, or for retailers to dispose of food nearing the end of its life before it ends up being wasted. And we heard from Ray Stanton of Lush in episode 57 about permaculture thinking and some of their packaging innovations. Lush has pioneered what it calls naked packaging, which it uses for solid products that don't need containing. Lush has come up with other innovations like cork pots, Cork is a renewable material from the bark of a species of oak tree. The bark regrows over a few years after it's been harvested. The tree's not cut down when the bark's removed, and so cork can be farmed regeneratively. When I interviewed Ray, she was wearing an attractive headscarf that had been a wrap for a lush cosmetic product. So the packaging itself could be repurposed as clothing or used to wrap something else, and so on. Let's go back to our second strategy, to get things used more intensively. The aim is to set up systems to help us get more use out of objects, so we need less of them in the economy. An example I often use here is thinking about car sharing. In Europe, the average car is in use for less than two hours every day, and probably a lot less during lockdown. So if instead we had cars in a car share system or a pay-per-use system, we could easily imagine those same cars being rented out for 8, 12 or even more hours every day. That means we get a lot more productivity from the car. It's about getting more use from the car and its components and materials. And that means we need less cars overall in the system. Again, that's slowing down the flow of materials going through our metaphorical hosepipe. In episode 55, we spoke to Anthony Burns of ACS 
about how ACS helps companies that are offering rentals, subscriptions and resale, doing all the processing and back office work to recover those products, get them cleaned, make any repairs and get them back out to the next customer. ACS also offers re-commerce services and that means dealing with returns from customers who've ordered clothes online. ACS check everything that comes back, making sure it goes back into stock if it's suitable, gets cleaned if necessary, or is identified as needing to go into another sales stream. In episode 54, we met Louise Bailevelde from Lono in Côte d'Ivoire. Lono is another specialist circular service provider, helping get more value out of agricultural waste. Lono works with farmers and food producers, looks at the kind of waste they end up with on the farm, which in Côte d'Ivoire may be cocoa bean pods. Lono looks for compatible sources of biological waste that can make good quality compost and bioenergy. In previous series, we've talked to Tamsin Chislett at OnLoan in episode 44 and Eve Keke at Bundley in episode 18 about their rental and subscription services for fashion and baby clothes, respectively. And we've heard how much customers love subscription services. People want to be more sustainable. People don't want to be wasting clothes after only a few wears. They feel much better being able to use high quality, well-made, beautiful clothing for as long as they need it, and then send it back to be used by someone else. After, of course, it's been cleaned and cared for by Bundley and on loan. So those are two strategies to help products have a life of their own. Either longer lasting products or products that can be used more intensively, shared, rented and so on. After both of those, we need to recover the product and the materials to get them back into the system. That way we close the loop on all those wasted materials. We need to focus on designing products, so we have to do less to get them back into the system. The less we do, the better. If we just focus on recycling, it means we're using an awful lot of energy to get very little value out of the product. We may even need to use lots of chemicals to convert the materials back into something we can use. So really, that's all going back through the same leaky hose pipe again. We're not significantly slowing down the flow. And we're probably not bending the curve on greenhouse gas emissions. In episode 57, we heard from Helen Burdett at the World Economic Forum about some of the brilliant work they're doing on the circular economy. We talked about circular trailblazers. These are scale-up businesses with a purpose beyond profit to make a social impact. They're seen as being able to disrupt entire industry sectors with their new circular propositions. The World Economic Forum has produced a report analysing what makes a trailblazer and how they're different to other startups and scale-ups. And I'd recommend that short report. I'll put a link again in the show notes. The World Economic Forum's circular trailblazers include Excess Materials Exchange. We spoke to Christian van Maren in episode 32. Al Gramo, and we heard from Brian Bauer in episode 42 and Fairphone. Helen explained the challenges of what she called linear lock-in. 
Yeah, we think of that sometimes as the linear lock-in, that it is harder to operate outside of this system that we've optimized for the past 200 years that is linear. That uh, some of the tactics that we think about for trailblazers taking on, uh, and, and these are kind of identified as, as the top five in the report, are around storytelling for impact. So how to get out there and tell a story that is not only valuable for your business as an impact scale-up, but also can unlock the market for others and have unlock hearts and minds to be thinking in a more circular way. Now there's setting that higher standard. So you mentioned that kind of raising the bar uh, that continues to come up. Sharing insights, not being so competitive that you refuse to share anything that might help others become more circular. Yes, you need to be competitive as, as a for-profit business. And we aren't saying that to be an impact scale-up or a circular trailblazer, you uh, need to put your business second. Uh, these are all tactics that should be undertaken while putting your business first, uh, initiating that collaboration, and then influencing public policy. So it may be changing policies so that your business can be successful, but that also enables other businesses to take on uh, similar models. Let's go back to episode 51 with Jamie Butterworth of Circularity Capital. Jamie explained why Circularity Capital focuses on investing in those inner loops of the circular economy, reuse, repair and reducing waste. It's investing in companies like Grover, Winnow and Zigzag. And like the World Economic Forum, they're trying to identify businesses that can scale up and make a big difference, either disrupting a sector or creating value from a difficult to use material. Jamie gave the example of Shark Windscreens, which is managing to recycle laminated windscreens. That's highly complex because of the different layers of materials, yet it also creates a high-value recycled material. To keep objects in use for longer, repair is critical. Repair cafes are springing up all around the world, and these are free-to-use community initiatives that help people with repairing all sorts of things, from tech to furniture to clothing to treasured objects. In episode 52, we heard some amazing stories from Elizabeth Knight, co-author of a brilliant book called Repair Revolution. Elizabeth is a brilliant storyteller and told us about all sorts of ways that people engage with repairs and what a difference those repair cafes can make to a community. Breaking down social barriers, bringing people together, helping people share skills, building confidence and so on. Repair cafes exist all around the world. You might be able to find one near you and get involved in helping extend the life of your stuff. Being a caretaker instead of discarding things. Hashtag caring is cool. Turning off the tap, slowing the flow of materials and all that associated waste and shrinking our massive footprint of emissions, ecological damage and overuse of resources, land and water, is a massive challenge. But we know how to do this. It's not rocket science. It just needs different mindsets focused on creating value and regenerating our global commons. I believe the circular economy is a critical tool to create future-fit, prosperous businesses. Caretaking companies that contribute to societies and create value for future generations. 
we're already in the decisive decade. It's time to rethink your strategy for a circular revolution. That's it for this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you use circular, sustainable approaches to make a better world for people, planet and your business. Get in touch via the website or connect with me on LinkedIn. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one or buy the new edition of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. Make sure you get the edition with the orange cover, which has a new chapter on packaging, lots of extra examples and updated research in every chapter. You can find resources and links mentioned in today's episode, as well as a transcript of the conversation at rethinkglobal.info, where you can find out how we help you succeed with Circular. <music>